Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host, always Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is Miss Kimla. Hello. Tonight we are continuing our look at To All the Boys I've Loved Before. We tonight wrap up our trilogy with To All the Boys Always and Forever, the third and final installment of the To All the Boys saga. As um, we wrap up the saga of Lara Jean and her many, many complex. I don't know what. I don't want to say love lives because it makes her sound like she's like carrying on with multiple people, but it's just it's just the one person she's uh, carrying on with. But um, no, after our previous, uh, after the previous book, always and so where was the previous book called? Because they always go, they don't like number them or anything here, so. P.S. I still love you. It's a previous one. Okay, so after the previous one, P.S. I still love you, um, and these films were like released in a year of each other. So they really Netflix really cottoned on to a hot thing and just really rushed them all out, didn't they? So, well, yeah. I mean, um, the pretty much what happened was for it was the first. I think it was the first of its uh, its sort of thing where they filmed the second and the third movie at the same time. Okay. So so like back to back. So that's why it was really close to each other. And pretty much after the success of, you know, after the second one came out, I think maybe like two weeks later, they announced that, woo, that we're having the third one and blah, 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 you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it was, um, well, you know, they were really just, I mean, it is, it is really good uh, that they did that because, you know, <laughs> in, in, in hindsight right now, it's definitely the way to go because... <laughs> That gives Netflix so many more movies to release during the pandemic where, you know, filming in general is stopped or really, really slow, right? Oh, for sure. And I think when you're doing these sort of, you know, saga adaptations, be it like Lord of the Rings or Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it really sort of helps if you sort of churn them out as quickly as possible, especially if you're dealing with a young cast who's suddenly going to shoot up or, you know, have a growth spurt or something like that. So <laughs> I had to keep it clean then. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the best example is Harry Potter, right? You went through seven years, and then all of a sudden Daniel Radcliffe started out really young, and then by the end it was supposed to be, what, seven years, and he looks so much older. Seven long years. <laughs> um, was it even eight? Because the, the, the seventh book was divided into part one and part two, right? <laughs> I don't know. It just seems to go on for, like, an eternity. Um, yeah. But, um... Yeah, we certainly we pick up the story again, uh, the story of Lara Jean, who is still with her boyfriend, Peter Kavinsky, despite the efforts of the cad John Ambrose attempting to break them up in the previous film. Uh, as we rejoin her, she's on family vacation in Seoul, uh, where she's tracing her mother's footsteps and generally taking in some Korean culture, uh, while also on vacation with her father's current girlfriend and neighbour, Trina. Um, who he has plans to propose to. And all while this is going on, Lara is basically, you know, she's reevaluating her relationship with Peter, the fact that they never had a meet cute, they don't have a personal song, and at the same time, they're facing university is fast approaching, which could potentially split them up as he's already got into Stanford and she's waiting for her acceptance letter to get in Stanford which unfortunately doesn't get instead being offered a place at Berkeley however on a class trip to New York she realizes that perhaps Berkeley's not for her and perhaps NYC is instead putting a huge distance between them but is it going to be too much for the young couple and will they be still together by the end of the movie 
we find out now. So, Kim, I mean, this is obviously a saga or trilogy of books very close to yourself. Um, and I have to say, it's been an enjoyable trilogy of films to get through. I've never read the books. I don't think I'm going to go and read the books now I've seen the films, but um, certainly the films were an enjoyable experience, so... Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I think that's the happiest thing for me is that, you know, when I first started talking about this and you were like, OK, well, I'm going to go and check it out. And then we started doing a <laughs> podcast on it and then we did the second one and now we're doing the third one. It was one of, the, I guess, one of the unexpected choices that we've had in the past year because it's, you know, there, there's a, you know, to me, it is very close because I, I kind of jump around and reading different um stories and stuff like that and especially when it comes to teenage romance i'm not really i read it but i have like issues with a lot of the newer stories like um i've never gotten into you know john green and all those things um all and his books and and so i was a little hesitant but i mean to all the boys uh the trilogy of the books was something that i read through really really fast and it's and it's something that I really, really like. I think it also has to do with, you know, obviously there's kind of like an Asian culture background. And then there's, there's a, you know, the, there's these witty characters. And then there's this really kind of like um, nice chemistry, no matter whether in the books or in the movies. So one of the things that I think is really good is that um, I definitely think To All the Boys has uh, some of the better adaptation, even if, you know, the second movie fell short. Um, the third movie still brings it back because... There's something, yeah, I find it just something so charming about Lara Jean as a character. I, it doesn't matter whether she's in a relationship or whether she's with Peter Kavinsky or, or whether she's with her sisters or with her father or facing the different things in life. Lara Jean is a character who, she's, you know, she kind of fits, she fits into the mold of what you'd expect of um, a middle child. You know, she, she's she takes care of everything type of thing. And, you know, while the, while Margot gets to go away and wants to go away somewhere far away to, to, to go to school and is willing to give up everything, um, she, you know, and, and Kitty is younger and, you know, telling her, you know, kind of more in the, uh, I don't know, less thought out process of life, <laughs> <laughs> doing things more on impulse she's kind of in the middle, right? She she thinks about things, but then there's a part of her when she does impulsive things that kind of work and don't work at the same time. And there's this witty side of her that, you know, it's kind of everything in her life is a bit of a trial and error. She tends to, but then she also overthinks a lot of things. And I think that that's the thing that for her and Peter Kavinsky, that's one of the things that becomes something that, um, you know, pulls them apart a little because she doesn't, she doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news, so a lot of things start to go askew because of that, and and at the same time, you know, like, they, they worry about a lot of things before it's happened, sort of thing. Like, of, of course, you know, coming, looking at it from a grown-up person, you know, like, <laughs> a grown-up adult perspective of this, you, you kind of feel like... You kind of feel like uh, a lot of this is just, you know, you're young. Why not just, you know, you're far away. It doesn't matter. You just give it a shot, right? But at the same time, like, you know, it might also be because if you were in her shoes, maybe it would be different. And at her age, there would still be that kind of thought. I don't know. I mean, but, you know, one of the things I really do like about Lara Jean is really the, like, how how much of a teenager she feels like, you know, she goes through the, you know, these phases and, and it's very, you know, it's very relatable. You really feel like she captures 
that character. Yeah, definitely. So it was interesting as well the fact that when we look at this film, everyone suddenly moves that one spot across in their their lives. When we look at the first film, and obviously you got the sister who's going away to study in Scotland, and the fact that she has to deal with the potential breakup of her own relationship, and the fact that Lara Jean is just getting into this relationship and now we come to the third film and now she's taken the sisters the older sister's place as the person who is having to put the choose between the relationship and following their dreams which obviously involves moving away the younger sister is now taking the Lara Jean role of obviously the young romance and um is all caught in the romanticism of it and it was just really interesting to see everyone sort of like moving that one slot along even like the father I mean obviously he's now getting married by the end of the the film and uh John Corbett here, now entering into the Hall of Fame as he just makes another appearance on this podcast. <laughs> He's um, aging gracefully from being the rustic love interest in Sex and City to now the silver fox father figure um, that he seems to have eased into really well. Because, I mean, this is, what, his fourth father role. We've seen him now. Frick True Free were in this series and one in uh, 48 Meters Down Uncaged as well, so... He's got a, He's got himself a new rut in life. <laughs> but I, I mean, this movie definitely, you know, uh, moved him up a lot, right? Because I mean, I don't know how many people watch Forty Seven Meters Down, uh, Uncaged, but <laughs> to all the boys, you know, once you, I, I sometimes feel like once you land a Netflix film that does really well, um, it is really good. Yeah. <laughs> you might, it might open up some new doors to other movies and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is really nice, you know, you make a really good point that, you know, everybody is moving forward, and at the same time, I really do like that, um, this movie, because one of the things I really like is the people around Lara Jean, um, you know, whether you talk about her best friend, or even when you talk about, uh, talk about Jen, like, her, her, her best friend that, <laughs> that is no longer her best friend, but somehow, they have that really good moment in New York City where I feel like, you know, their friendship kind of rebonds after the the second movies kind of, you know, when they, they kind of spill their heart out to each other about what happened and, you know, what drove them apart and, you know, having a real talk about the things in life. Um, that, that, you know, when we get to this movie, you can really see that there's a resolve of what they, that they do want to, you know, give this friendship a second chance, even if, you know, <laughs> even if, uh, even if, uh, Christine thinks that she, that she's still a bad person in general. <laughs> yeah, it's, they get Christine sort of like the, you know, the hippie friend. So it was, so it's hardly like the most trustworthy advice that she can get get for you. I mean, she's sort of like very free spirited, and it's funny as well the fact that all it takes to really sort of mend your friendships is to join in a sofa raid on someone's apartment. That's apparently <laughs> the only bonding experience you need to repair all friendships. Really, just go and uh, steal someone's sofa in New York, and then try and cram oh. it on a subway train, which I imagine people must have been so pissed about. <laughs> But you know, surprisingly, it, it was such a it was such a well well executed scene. I think, and I think that for I don't know, I think it's a girl thing. Like I've never got to steal a sofa or anything, but it's the fact that you know the girls are these girls are together with a bunch of you know the, like two other strangers, two three other strangers. Yeah. And 
they're going on this, you know, this thing to reclaim something that belonged to them from, and it seems like it's like a, a girl power thing, which is, which, you know, the movie in, in general talks a little, like, has that little focus where, you know, the girls do have that kind of mentality, whether you talk about uh, Kitty or you talk about mm. uh, Margot, each of them have their own way of being kind of like their own person. And even when you talk about Lara Jean, she is a lot softer in that sense. But there is a, you know, a a definite focus on on them. And I think that what is different is that Lara, like Lara Jean, when she meets these girls, it's a different life. It's a different world. Like her, it's kind of like a breakthrough and exciting change to what she's used to in, in back at home with high school, with her high school friends and stuff like that. And this is something that, you know, it's kind of like she can really let herself loose a little bit. Yeah, I love the fact that as well, the fact that it's all based in Manhattan. So it's the classy part of New York. I mean, it's not like she's running around Staten Island or down in the Bronx or something like that. I'm not sure she would have such a romanticized opinion, but I think it's important as well for the film to have that sort of moment. I mean, yes, you mentioned already about the girl power moment there, which I think could have been highlighted more by the use of the Spice Girls wannabe than... (laughs) than anything else they could have done there for that moment. I mean, do young kids even like Spice Girls? I don't know. Yeah, it it was good as well, because when we look at her in the previous two movies, and she's obviously in the comfort of her hometown, and she gets to escape into these sort of romantic fantasies and stuff, and I think with her going off to New York and seeing this sort of, like, fantastical vision of New York where she's going to, like, rooftop parties and seeing hip indie bands and stealing sofas, it's sort of like, you know, this is... Uh, what real life is it's a chance for what you could obviously have and i think when she's obviously taken away from her sort of like romantic sort of daydreams and stuff she sort of finally realizes what it is that she actually wants um and as much as she obviously cares for peter the fact that at the same time it's going to new york is going to be the sort of right thing for her own career and it's sort of like that moment, that time she spends away from him, that she sort of uh, fully realizes it. So, and I think it also helps the fact that every time she hangs out with Peter, all they do is like go to diners or bakeries and stuff, and everything <laughs> seems to revolve around food. So, to have something <laughs> non-food related, I think also helps. Well, I mean, I think that it's just when you're when you're young and you're in a relationship and or any first relationship type of thing, it is really. Most of the time, at least. I don't want to, you know, generalize it all. I'm going to take your advice because I just spent a lot of time around this age just playing a lot of D&D, so hanging out by myself. I'm just saying, like, when you're in a relationship when you're young, like, I didn't have a high school romance, so I can't really relate. But but in that sense, like, how I view it is that when you're in your first relationship, your life does revolve a lot around the other person because you're just madly in love with each other type of thing and you know like for her when she's she you know her sister's gone and kitty is you know in her own little world and you know kitty has a life she proved that in the first in the first part in the first movie (laughs) you know kitty's like popular with her friends type of thing and and for for lara jean this is what it is she has the free-spirited christine who who has now moved on to have this little fling with with trevor and then, uh, <laughs> and and now she's you know she's spending a lot of time because she's she's with P- Peter Kavinsky and getting ready for college and whatnot and that sort of thing. But you know you also have this whole feeling that when she's she's out and about you know it it it's a different view. And 
I mean, I think that it's a new experience. And for her, I think that that's really, I think it's, it's an important part of changing, like for Lara Jean. And it, I think, I think, I just don't know. I really like that part a lot. Um, I guess it reminds me a little because um, I did go on this like uh, this kind of like camp thing after univer after after my high school time, and it was a lot of fun because you know I've never dormed with anybody, I've never had roommates, and it was this whole new experience. And for me, it was just like well, I remember that that time that I can so relate to you know this where you feel like the most random thing that you're doing is so much fun because you've never done it before and you're with this like new group of people they're kind of opening your eyes to this new possibility this new world where you know it, it's it, it's kind of like a fresh start um and in some ways like you know you can link it back to uh to when we were talking about you know how everybody's move a step forward and i think here is where lara jean start understanding why margo wanted to leave because She's starting to see, you know, like, if she didn't have a boyfriend, well, then she wouldn't have to think about all these things. And she could just go and chase the dream and go to the university that she wanted to do, she wanted to go to. But I think the choice in the end for them is really, are they willing to take that chance, right? Because Margot didn't want to take that chance. She didn't want to leave and keep having to think about home. She just wanted to be, like, leave clean and just start new. Whereas Lara Jean isn't the same. She wants to keep having this relationship with Peter Kavinsky. So that's why it makes this decision so much harder for her. Yeah, and I think one of the other things I like about the film is the fact that their relationship now feels like a proper relationship. I mean, yes, it took him to obviously have to win her back from that cad in the previous movie. Um, but, you know... If that's what it took first to make a more believable couple, because there was always that nagging sort of feeling that he, that uh, you were waiting for the other shoe to drop in that first movie, because obviously they had a fake relationship and you didn't think that they would actually match up as a couple. And then we obviously had, he had the competition against that cheese ball romantic. And, um, you know, he got to really sort of, we got to see that he truly does care. And I think this movie, they're so much more comfortable and established as a couple we didn't even have to concern ourselves with these things and we can just enjoy them being being an actual couple and focus on just these these things that are thrown at you but i have to say that the film really sort of throws these uh sort of spanners into the works and he sort of like deals with it goes oh that's okay and then just sort of moves on it these things that you would expect to be much bigger earth-shaking moments don't seem to really sort of resonate with him um until it until obviously like new york comes into the the picture so but I, I think that i think that the point of it is that sometimes we imagine problems to be received like news to be received a lot worse than they actually will be and that's the case is is that in the sense that you know, she keeps thinking she's having this, you know, she goes back to that first movie type of thing, which where she's talking to imaginary Peter Kavinsky about, you know, fessing up to not getting into Stanford and all that stuff. And she's imagining him flipping out and, mm. and being angry and being all emotional. And in reality, he didn't, you know, he was more concerned about how she was. And to me, that part was actually really touching because he wasn't thinking about, oh, you know, the distance or whatever. His first no. thought was, oh, you know. Are you okay? You know, because, you know, when you're in a relationship, someone understands you a lot. They'll be, they'll first care about how you received it because they know that it will probably be 
more difficult for you to accept than for than for you know the situation in general about being away. Oh, yeah. And to me, I think that 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 scene was really important to to that you know at that moment to have. Yeah, really. There's a scene as well where, where she's having this sort of like um, daydream about their fantasy life, and they go to Seoul and they. Um, get married and they buy the house and you know, have the pregnancy and all the rest of this and I love the fact that in the background they've got this mascot that they meet in Seoul and he seems to be constantly in the background of all the shots <laughs> I didn't realise it until they reversed it so that you know she's giving the keys back to the house and he's leaving at the altar that I noticed the mascot was in the back of all the shots um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I the, as, I mean, yes, well, it's obviously cute as well to see Kitty having a boyfriend in Korea. Um, it's, it's the most baffling relationship that they have. I mean, the, the film does its best to try and make something of it. The fact that she gets really upset, the fact that he thinks Harry Potter is stupid. And um, <laughs> she tries to get into baseball because that's his favorite sport. So it, it feels like quite a C-plot, Kitty's first romance, really, but... I think it it was needed to actually give Kitty some growth as a character because I mean what she otherwise going to be doing just basically doing the same thing she does in the previous two movies of just being like the inadvertent messenger who sort of like puts everything in play so it was good to actually give her something to do um, other than play messenger for a change. No, but I, I think for Kitty, it, it was necessary because yes, it might feel like it wasn't really expected to be that, you know, uh, I don't know, laid out or detailed or whatever, or in depth. But the fact is that Kitty is at her age and she's having this long distance relationship with this random Korean dude that she met on the locks bridge or whatever you call it <laughs> in Korea. Mm. Whereas, you know, whereas like they're in a different country and they're making it work at, at a young age, right? Whereas, you know, this is kind of, for Lara Jean, it, it, it kind of relates to the fact that she's going into a far distance and why are they not as, maybe as you get older, you lose the courage to take these risks that, you know, that, that, that happen in, in life, right? Yeah. I um, d can I just obviously talk about the Locks Bridge? Because I didn't realize they had one in Korea. I know they have one in France, <laughs> which had to be dismantled because the sheer amount of weight the Locks put on the bridge was causing it to collapse. Um, so they had to, they had to cut all the metal off to remove all these locks. So, I mean, I, I know I did. They had one in Korea as well. Um, and I mean, yes, it was nice to bring some closure to the mother's character, so that you know the father can move on. Really, yeah. But I think that you know, I think that's what's what's really good about you know the the story here is while we focus a lot on Lara Jean, I think one of the things here is the the tangent that we take of why Peter Kavinsky takes this whole separating far away for college as such a sign of betrayal from um from Lara Jean and it all now dials back to you know a problem ignore the studio cats there's been <laughs> assholes and it was uh, and it was really like you finally get this um this look at his father and as he comes back into the picture and what kind of puts to rest, I think, some of the conflict that he's been having about the divorce and, and that, that, you know, Peter Kavinsky's parents' divorce and, and what happened in that situation. It wasn't super in-depth as to what happened between his parents, 
but at the same time, it kind of it kind of explains, kind of gives you a little bit more into the Peter Kavinsky character. Because if you think about it up to this point, we know a lot about Lara Jean, but Peter Kavinsky has really just been, you know, Lara Jean's boyfriend. <laughs> he's the he's the uh, kind of charming but kind of dorky boyfriend character <laughs> that that kind of hangs around and he tries to fight for her love and and all that stuff. And he seems like this, you know, the perfect boyfriend package. But then, you know, you kind of see a little bit more into Peter Kavinsky now when you have this father character show up that um, that I, I guess kind of this 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 kind of uh, stirs up why, you know, we kind of get an idea as to why he's taking this so hard. Sure, distance is a big deal, but, you know, like, why does he like to me, at least when I watched it, I felt like he really felt like, oh, Lara Jean is is giving up on us type of thing you know and it felt like a sign of betrayal and i don't know if you felt the same way i'm glad you clarified what that was because it i wasn't sure the significance of the father plot i mean obviously to give his character some depth uh which as you said i mean he hears a lot of surface detail which to be honest was never an issue in the previous films because we didn't really need him to do much other than just to be an interesting person for for her to be involved in and to give her something to sort of play off against so it was kind of nice to obviously give him that sort of depth the you know the family drama there and i think it the scene where he starts to reconnect with his father was um certainly a a fun it was certainly an interesting one um and i also appreciate the fact that you know he did sort of dash in they go from there to sort of dash in the last minute to um the wedding of um of of Lara, Lara's father, which I was fully expecting him to do, like suddenly turn up as like the last minute in his tux, and instead they um uh, they have a, they have a much more touching sort of reconnection moment a bit later on. But um, oh man, that scene! I'm telling you, that wedding scene, whew, so well shot, so nice. It was so it was amazing. Like that was the best scene of the movie. Seriously, like I the mo- the mo- like how it's just angles into like Lara Jean going up to the altar picking up the yearbook oh my god I really like you you don't know like you you know Peter Kavinsky always shows up in the last moment because you know he wakes up in his slow mind <laughs> that, he, he, that he doesn't want to give up on the relationship yet again and then you know that he wants to fight for it some more and but you never really I think that this was a really touching way to do it like to me I was I was super like you know getting a bit misty over this <laughs> oh but was, give him some really good. can we give him some credit here because he has the opportunity to sleep with Lara Jean at, at prom because Lara Jean's friend um Chris has been getting on that their relationship's like a brisket which is not a bad thing to have your relationship compared <laughs> to certainly because who doesn't like brisket um <laughs> It gets more graphic after that analogy. So she decides that she's going to sleep with him after prom. And he actually, you know, he stops her yeah. while they're getting into it. Which is weird. It's weird when I was watching it that the internet went kind of funny. So it felt like when you rented like VHS tapes and they got to like a rude bit or something on the tape. And it went all fuzzy because someone kept rewinding that bit. And I was like, oh, wow, it's happening to the internet as well. Um but no, he's he stops her and he's like, no, this is this isn't 
um, the moments that we're having. This is a goodbye. And he even, like, takes a part of, like, this gift that she's been so mindful of because she's trying to, like, put together these, like, awesome dates for him. So she's like, oh, we can go make soap because he likes Fight Club. And uh, could he, like, frankly talk about it? He's like, you're going to take Peter Kavinsky to go make soap. Um, <laughs> so instead they go on, like, this big Lebowski-inspired date and he gets to reenact the Jesus moment, which I sent over to you, Kim, earlier today just to show how much they sanitize that moment for sure. But... If you've seen the Big Lebowski, you know basically what they're going for here. But which hopefully, you know, hopefully inspire. If you've not seen Big Lebowski, inspire people to like go out and see the Big Lebowski now. So, but um, yeah, they he you know he he doesn't like just take advantage of her and you know seize the opportunity to go and knock boots with the his hot Asian girlfriend. Um, you know they he knows that it's the the best saving themselves that perfect moment which obviously happens at the end and it's a lot it's a lot less erotic than the first time i have to say <laughs> it was kind of sudden actually that part was a funky so that was it's, kind of funky how they executed that it's like oh <laughs> is that it <laughs> <laughs> so um but yeah it's and you know he ultimately obviously accepts the gift which I was so glad at the end they have like this montage of their relationship over the two films. They obviously cut out all the drama and stuff and just focus on the good stuff. And yeah. that the box he ge- that she gives him is the box that the letters were originally kept in, which I thought was a really nice throwback, but one that would have gone completely over my head had they not shown in the end, end credits montage. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, hey, there is there is a lot of little details here that really does... Um... That really does link the three movies together really well. And, you know, overall, I mean, I don't really have a, a big issue with the entire trilogy. It is no. well done. Um, I mean, the filming, the the style, and, you know, how they adapted the, enti- the, the trilogy of books and stuff. I think it really, you know, whether they took things or added things or, you know, most of the time, I think they, did, they, they slimmed it down a little. They trimmed it down so that... It was very well paced, I think. Can I ask you a question? That yeah. when it comes to the meet cute, was it as eye rolling as it was in the film? Because in the film, the the meet cute that they have, he says that the fir- when he first fell for her was when yeah. they were like in grade school or something. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. um, he's like, "Oh, I saw notice your backpack and the sparkly writing," and I was, and they just shows him, and she was going to. Attendance award, and yeah. that was apparently the moment he felt. And I felt like, oh my god, it felt like on uh, Boy Meets World when they retconned Tori, uh, Corey and Topanga's relationship so that she apparently fell for him when they were like in preschool. And it's like, no, you hated him in the previous seasons, <laughs> it's only when yeah. you went to like high school that you suddenly fell for each other because they couldn't be bothered to write another love interest into the show. And that was when <laughs> I stopped watching Boy Meets World. <laughs> but yeah, I just I really hated that meet you moment. I was like, oh really? This is where you're going? We've had all we've had three films worth of footage, and this is the, what you're going to do to us here, people. I don't I don't have a problem with a meet cute. I thought the meet cute was all right. Like because I think the the point the point is not how like like what happens in the meet cute. It's more the fact that Peter Kavinsky the entire time. You remember him as this guy who, who, you know, like, you don't expect him to be remembering all this stuff. And because Lara Jean is the romantic, she remembers every single moment and she 
writes diaries and she you know she just remembers all of these little moments these little details and here you go where she doesn't remember a meet cute and peter kavinsky is like well that was our meet cute and this was how we met and you know i i mean i don't you know i don't buy for a second that he was like oh i saw that you know you're you know I, you turned around and then you looked at me and smiled and then that was the thing you know like it was pretty cute at the moment but it it felt a little bit like it felt a little out of like the context of what you would expect these characters as their meet cute but i mean you know you're talking about elementary school kids going to get attendance awards and then this this like a uh, cute little Asian girl c goes on stage, gets a gets an attendance award, and then comes back. And then you know she he, he I, th I think something happens in between, but I can't remember exactly. And and then um, and, and you know their eyes meet, and that's it. And sometimes you know it's as simple as that, especially when you're talking about you know kids and stuff. But yes, it was a it was a, it was a, an enjoyable end to the trilogy. Well, now we just got to wait you know, four years until they do the fourth one. <laughs> well, I mean, they they pretty much just closed this. The close this one up. They're not going. They're they're that. At least they're saying they're not doing anymore. So <laughs> the the hunt for more money would suggest otherwise. Um, I, I I'm just going to say four years from now it's going to be like we're going to see the wilderness years of to all the boys. <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll see how that one goes. But uh, I mean. It definitely wouldn't be an adaptation at that point, I don't think, because I'm pretty sure the author has finished writing the, the books. She's still alive. She um, could write more books. <laughs> I'm just throwing the idea out into the universe here. Because, uh, you know... I don't know. I think that if you if you keep going, it might feel a little bit like really just a... <laughs> Harry Potter kept going for another six books past what it should have. I think they can write as one more <laughs> to other boys. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I, you know, unless everybody ends up being like their career doesn't go well and they need to backpedal a little the the, the fame that they had in, in this one. <laughs> We're going to see how things go, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've, I think was looking back over my Lurkbox ratings for this series and I actually rated this one the highest out of the three. And I think that it probably is my my favorite, I think, because everything's more settled. You haven't got such so many, so much teen angst and overdramaticism. Everything's a lot more settled. You can just focus on, you know, this move into the wilderness years. Um, mm. And I, I'd say I thought that it that it gave it gave the film a little more room to breathe to do a bit more sort of like the goofier moments as I said like the bowling sequence was pretty fun and um, just to have those New York um, Manhattan moments as well such as like sealing the couch and hanging around the city that sort of thing so yeah you know the thing is I I I think I rated it about the same as the the first one for this one or maybe slightly lower. Um, and I think the main thing was because I felt like there was, um, you know, while I love the soundtrack and stuff, I thought that they had a lot of montages because they had so much content they wanted to get in. And, like, so many great moments between the two that they, like, kind of milked it. So they were building these montages of, of just, like, oh, uh, their date in, their late night date in New York City. And then boom, 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 you know, all these places they go. And then, you know, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's kind of... Um, I feel like there. It's sometimes because of that you feel like it's being a bit. 
I don't know, packed when you have a lot of montages happen. I think they had a few of those. So I'm not really like, that was the only thing that I had, I think, a little bit of issue with. And, um, but I mean, as in charm and that sort of thing, I really did, I really did like it this time. Um, I think what made up for a lot of the, like the montage thing was the fact that I kind of like the fact that Jen isn't this bitch, like the first one. Okay. <laughs> and she's, she's not like a mean girl anymore. She, you know, their, their friendship rebuilding and that sort of, um, that sort of you know the connection that they have again really it's kind of nice to see her character have that kind of mild change like where it's not such an intense you know rivalry between them but they're kind of falling back into you know uh when they were younger so yeah that's you know i, I like i like both of them i think that i can't really decide i really i think it really depends on the day <laughs> i definitely have rewatched the first movie more uh, I, just, I think it's just a lot more fun in the humor and that sort of thing. I really like that kind of, you know, uh, high school banter. And it's, it you know, they have that kind of um, thing where they have that trial and error. You're not really sure about who's what. And then there's a lot of really good chemistry as they build these two characters. Um, but I, I can see, you know, like this one is good for different reasons because it's, uh, it, it is, like you said, more subtle, right? So their relationship is not really... It still has that really chemistry thing, but it's more in um, fun elements and stuff like that and exploring other places. And it kind of has a, a broader angle in what they're trying to cover. So there is a little... The conflict is different. Yeah, definitely so. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's an enjoyable trilogy overall. I think it's let down by a, a weak second film. So maybe you can just skip mm. over that and just watch the first and the last one. <laughs> um, but that's you know that's just my personal preference. But yeah, I certainly certainly enjoyed uh, this lighthearted romp that we've obviously had through uh, through this trilogy. So, um, so yes, well done, Kim, for picking this one. I'm just glad you liked it. <laughs> At least you enjoyed it. <laughs> That was all I asked for, that you enjoyed it mildly, and then I would have been happy about it. You were worried I was going to say bad things about it, as I recall, but no. <laughs> it, it was, as I said, it was uh, it was, it was was a fun, enjoyable experience. I mean, it's... It, I think, the, as I said, the fact it's on Netflix, I think, also gives it a lot of leeway, because Netflix as a whole is kind of disposable when it comes to viewing, that you, you sort of tune into Netflix to watch fun throwaway things like this and I think it certainly fits that, that criteria like a Christmas movie. It's just something you you put on, you enjoy and then you move on to the next thing. So, mm. Unless I guess you're a teenage girl in which you probably, this would become like your new favourite film of all time. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, as I said, I don't sit here speaking for teenage girls. So, Well, I mean, I, I you know, I had a phase where I really watched it a lot too. So, I mean, it's, I think it really depends on what type of movies you like. Okay. Uh, it's definitely like, you know, you, you can see, um, I don't know. It really depends how you connect to it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I liked it a lot, but is it, is it disposable to me? Maybe not as much, but that, but it's just because I like this type of, these type of movies and watching, like, and it's been a really long time since I've seen movies like this that really get me excited about this genre again, or this subgenre, or whatever you want to call it. Um, because they're rare and few, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, 
definitely so. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, as I said, it's available now. All three parts are available on Netflix as we speak. There's even the after party bonus as well, uh, which has the interviews with the cast and crew. So you can obviously enjoy that as well. Um, but yeah, this brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you for listening as always. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button where you haven't to listen to us. And you can check our full archive episodes at Moose and T Pod. You can check our full archive episodes at Moose and T Podcast.wordpress.com, which has not only our complete seasons of the previous episodes, but all our bonus episodes, the Shark Weeks. And on every Friday, we, both myself and Kim post a pick a film to uh, recommend as part of our Friday Film Club. Sometimes a theme, sometimes it's not. Either way, it's a chance for us to explore more of the movies that we love with you, our wonderful audience. Um, if you haven't already, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, you know maybe leave us a review. It all helps raise the profile of the show. But thank you again for listening. Thank you to my co-host Kim, and we will be back very soon. Good night. Awesome.